What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. What a good day it is, man. It's nice outside. It is. Ready to get this show done. A lot to talk about. We're going to talk some baseball. Some pretty big developments uh, have happened when it comes to Mississippi State baseball. And you guys are always looking for good news. You know, we had kind of the drip, drip, drip of guys getting injured and transferred and everybody like panics. And you know, one thing that I want to kind of point out, too, there are a lot of people, you know, they're casual fans of Mississippi State. That doesn't mean they didn't love Mississippi State as much as the rest of us. They just don't maybe follow it on a daily basis like we do. They watch the games. And we need every fan we can get. Okay, even even some that are negative. We need every fan we can get. But a lot of the guys that have, quote, left, we, we kind of left them. And so it's about an influx of talent now on the roster. And we're beginning to see some of that, some good news today. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, here as we go. Uh, then just as I got ready to record the show, Colton Ledbetter from Samford University announced that he is transferring to Mississippi State. He said, well, Steve, how good a guy is he? Well, let me tell you this. He's the best player at Samford. Is that good enough for you? Let me give you his numbers this year. He was second on the team in batting average at 318. He was first in OPS with 1.047. Started all 57 games, had 211 at-bats, led the team with 51 runs scored, led the team with 67 hits, led the team with 16 doubles, led the team with two triples, led the team with 16 home runs, led the team with 57 RBI, set a SOCON record for RBI in a game, in a SOCON tournament game, had 28 strikeouts and 211 at-bats. That's among the lowest on the team. Ground in into just five double plays and 14 of 17 in stolen bases and attempts, both which led. So he led Samford in all but one offensive statistical category, and that was only Stephen Klein beat him out by 13 points in batting average. How about that? Pretty interesting, right? So this is a very good get for Mississippi State. This is a guy that's an outfielder. He'll come in. I don't know if he's a left fielder or whatever, but the guy can really, really play. Uh, to kind of give you some background on him, too, for those of you that are curious, he, uh, he played his high school ball at Spain Park High School in Hoover. He was an all-state baseball player as a junior and a senior, which is pretty – Alabama's a good baseball state. He holds the school record for stolen bases. He was a preseason All-American by perfect game, rated as the number three outfielder in the state of Alabama and in the top 60 in the country. He's named to All-South Metro team and the All-State Baseball team Terrific 20 by Al.com as a senior and a junior. So an impressive high school career and as a collegiate player so far. Really took a jump last year. Now, you begin to think, okay, well, Steve, you know, he's at Samford. Well, you know, guys mature at a different rate. But this is a guy, obviously, that uh, you know, has done some pretty good things. Rarely made a jump this past year. Now, you look at what he did as a freshman. He played in 33 games, started 12. And remember, that's a team that came to Mississippi State in the regionals that year. So he had an opportunity to play against us. In the midweek game that year, he goes one for two. 
And then, of course, we don't see him again, um, you know, uh, in the postseason. But uh, he's a guy that played a little bit uh, for them as a freshman and then really took a jump as a sophomore. So he will come in, you know, with a couple years to play. I suspect it's a one-year deal because I suspect he'll be a guy that will be drafted uh, this year. Yeah, I mean, the, the coming year. Not draft eligible yet, but uh, – in 2023, I suspect that he'll be a guy that'll be drafted. So it's again a big piece for us. And Samford kind of becoming the uh, the farm league for the SEC. You know, Tyler McManus transferred to LSU, and Sonny DeShera to Auburn. Both of those guys had huge years this year. Of course, Sonny's still playing. Sonny D kind of captivated the nation. Pretty impressive type stuff. But um, Colton Ledbetter, a guy that uh, you know, a guy that could help Mississippi State. It's a very interesting piece, to say the least. And uh, we need an influx of talent. There's no question about it. This is a very big step in the right direction. I don't think there's any question about it. This is a guy we absolutely needed to get. Uh, Ledbetter is a guy that, um, you know, has played some college baseball and has played at a relatively high level. I think that's a big part of this thing, too. You know, it's, it's a, you know when you go get a guy that has done it, at the Division One level with some consistency, I think you look at that and feel pretty good. Now, he, he had some struggles early in the year against Florida State, just two hits on that weekend, two hits and 12 at-bats. I'm just running through this stuff together with you guys. Um, had a pretty good weekend against Central Florida. That's a decent AAC team. Uh, 0 for 3 against Alabama and 0 for 3 against Auburn. And then two for three against us in that game that we lost. And you know how bad that was. He comes back in the spring swing game against Auburn, goes two for five against those guys. Uh, So, again, a very interesting piece. And so still kind of working through this. It's not going to be like, you know, we've had some guys leave. People forget we signed a bunch of guys too. You know, so it's not going to be, oh, we're going to go get a dozen transfers. But we are going to go get some guys that are pieces that can come in and contribute and get this thing turned around. So Colton Ledbetter. Uh, we'll go ahead and draw some lineage to the uh, Ledbetter family there in Amite County, Mississippi, right outside Liberty. I guess that some of those guys uh, migrated up to Yazoo City. So I know Jerry Clower would be awfully proud today to know that Colton Ledbetter is now a Bulldog. And thanks to Ardell, Burnell, Raynell, W.L., Linnell, Odell, Udell, Marcel, Claude, Nugene, and Clovis, and certainly Aunt Pat and Uncle Versi for their contributions to Mississippi State sports. You guys know the Ledbetter family. And those stories are true. Now, the Ledbetters are, uh, are code names. You know, it's like people that, that Jerry knew. But uh, how ironic is it that we get a Ledbetter? And happy to have him. Absolutely thrilled to have Colton Ledbetter, now part of the Mississippi State baseball family. Got high hopes for this guy. When I first heard that he was going into portal, I was thinking, you know what, that'd be interesting. That would be awfully interesting. And uh, so we're going to talk again about some other things that are kind of going on as it relates to Mississippi State baseball. Got to get some pitchers. Got to get some arms out of the portal. That, that's the one thing we all know. We've got some young arms coming in, but you're going to need some stopgap guys, of course, to help uh, you know fill out the staff. And so you, know, you feel good about what we've got so far. You know, I do. I think we're taking some steps in the right direction. You go get Gartman from Memphis and you get Chester, a former Missouri player, and then you add Ledbetter, and all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, well, now I've got a guy that can, that can compete in every baseball pitching role in Ledbetter, excuse me, in uh, Gartman. And then Ledbetter's an outfielder. Chester, of course, comes in and will compete there at second base. But uh, you start filling out the lineup card, and you start thinking, okay, 
we're not done yet by any stretch, but we have picked up some guys that should be able to make good contributions uh, this next year. And that's what we want. we got to get back into regionals. We absolutely have to get back into regionals and start contending again uh, for national championships. You know, we you know, had a couple of years there, we were top eight national seed, and, uh, you know, this year, of course, is what it is. And to be honest with you, I kind of get tired of that. I'm tired of doing the autopsy you know, kind of on the season that was. And uh, I do think I'm a little more of an optimistic person by nature. I've had these discussions with people that, you know, it's like we just can't move on from it. And now that Ole Miss and Southern are playing in the Super Regional, it's kind of a reminder of how bad our season was that we're having to watch those two play, you know, and pulling for Southern Miss all the way. Uh, so the sooner that Ole Miss gets eliminated, I think the, the, the sooner some of our fans can move on. That's the last thing they want is them to go to Omaha. But the reality of it is, is, you know, we beat those guys two out of three, but down the stretch when it mattered in the month of May, they played a lot better than we did. That's why they're playing right, right now and we're at home. Now, you can argue, too, that perhaps they shouldn't have made the tournament, but they've made the most of that opportunity. And I don't know how you fire Mike Bianco now. I know that was the big the big concern, you know, for many people. It's like, hey, well, Bianco's done. And I said then, they win the Miami Regional. How do you run him off? How do you do it? I mean, they're still in contention when the last 16 teams play. So – Interesting times, but uh, we're going to focus our efforts on what we need to do to improve our baseball program and get back to the level to which we are accustomed. And I think getting Colton Ledbetter is a step in the right direction, to say the least. All right, Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I'm a huge fan of Bulldog Burger Company. I share with you guys, I love them before they love me. Uh, love going in there. It's a great place to get food. It's a great place to go for an adult beverage if you're so inclined. Uh, I like to go there sometimes really in the evenings when things are a little bit calm in town, downtown, right? The Cotton District's maybe not quite so uh, pin up, you know, with emotion or passion or whatever. I can go in there and, just ha- and have a nice meal. You know, a lot of times the only time I get to see my college girls is when I say, hey, uh, I'm going to go to dinner. Do you want to meet me? Uh, I live about six miles out of town. You'd think I live in Winona, you know, the way they act sometimes. But uh, the reality of it is that's a place that we have frequented many times and uh, very, very much enjoy being able to go do that. I me encourage you to, if you have relatives or neighbors or friends or whatever, and their, uh, their students are headed to Mississippi State this year, let me encourage you, get a Eat With Us gift card. Go to eatwithus.com, and you can get one to use at the entire family of restaurants. But uh, Bulldog Burger Company, very close to campus, let the new Bulldog student or even a returning Bulldog student get a dinner out on you. Because you know what it's like to be a college student, right? I mean, you know what it is. And sometimes, you know, it's like you're using mom and dad's debit card and that sort of stuff. But uh, maybe you can pick up a tab and let the students of uh, in your life enjoy Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridgeland Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. It'll make you better looking. You knew, you knew you need a punchline before I even set it up, right? And also, too, I've received word that the Nashville hot chicken sandwich has been changed to Clarkville. Clarkville, remember Killam Clark destroyed those guys, uh, hit the big home run to put the game away. So it's now the Clarkville chicken sandwich. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So there you go. Uh, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, earlier today, Collegiate Baseball released their freshman All-American team, and as a surprise to no one, Mississippi State's Hunter Hines makes the list. I've been talking about that for six weeks or more. Guy absolutely deserved it. I even told some friends of mine in the Collegiate Baseball media, if he is not on your freshman baseball, baseball American team, then the list is invalid. 
Now, he didn't need me to go stump for him. The numbers that he put up this year absolutely ridiculous. Second in school history of freshmen at Mississippi State. Second only to Rafael Palmero, who set the school record. And it's interesting, too, uh, we talk about Hunter Hines. I wanted to go back a little bit, too. You know, they didn't allow the freshmen to start playing until the early 70s. And then they didn't start awarding freshman All-American awards until, like, the early 80s. Because even though freshmen were eligible to play, they didn't play a whole lot. And so it took some time to kind of get that figured out because uh, you were only allowed three years of eligibility, you know, up until around the mid-70s. But uh, you recall Mississippi State, one of the greatest teams in Mississippi State baseball history was 1970. And then once we uh, advanced to the District 3 tournament in Gastonia, our seniors like Brantley Jones and Dennis Hall and Jocko Potts, those guys were ineligible to play because they had exhausted all three years of their eligibility. And that's not a Mississippi State mistake. That's an SEC issue. The SEC, the first allow, allow freshmen to play. And then once your eligibility was used up, you're done. But uh, going back, Palmero was our very first freshman All-American back in 83. And then Brad Hildreth in 86. He was a shortstop on that fine 1989 team. 87, Pete Young joins the third baseman. Bobby Reed in 88. Chris George in 89. Both of those guys pitchers. 1991, second base, Paul Petrillis. Named, he and Jay Powell both named Baseball America's freshman All-American. You, you guys, you know Jay, the pride of West Lauderdale, Mississippi. 1993, David Heyman and Scott Tankersley both make it for, in the, on the Mizunu list. 95, we had a really good year. And, th- and remember, this 95 team, you know, the, the members of this 95 team ended up uh, putting together a couple of big Omaha trips, 97 and 98. That's Eric Dubose, uh, Rob Hoswald, Scott Polk, and Richard Lee. 1997, we had Travis Chapman. Chapman's a guy that played a lot of baseball in his life. 1998, Mark Freed and John Knott. Freed was dynamite for us later in his career as a Sunday starter. 2000, shortstop Matthew Maniscalco. Love Manny. Great player. And then pitcher Chris Young. Chris, of course, a winning pitcher uh, that year in the, uh, against LSU in the SEC tournament a little bit later. It wasn't 2000, a little bit later. 2001, first baseman Matthew Brinson, designated hitter Brent Lewis, pitcher Paul Mahalam, and third baseman Steve Gendron. Steve, of course, uh, hailing out of Tampa, Florida. Outstanding crop there, too. Those, those guys had some good teams as well. Didn't make it to Omaha, but put together a good run. 2002, outfielder John Mungle. 2003, pitcher Jamie Gant. And Jamie was a guy, too, that was a dude for us you know, in some years that we were kind of really struggling. Uh, 2005, Josh Johnson and Jeffrey Ray. Of course, Jeffrey Ray uh, recently had his uh, hits record broken by Jake Mangum here at Mississippi State. 2006, pitcher Matt Lee. 2007, shortstop Brandon Turner and pitcher Ricky Bowen. 2009, Nick Rout. 2011, outfielder C.T. Bradford. Of course, C.T. part of that 2013 team that played for an NFL championship. 2012, Jonathan Holder. And then we start a pretty good streak here. 2016, everybody's freshman All-American, Jake Mangum. 2017, Riley Self. 2018, Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan. 2019, JT Ginn. 2020, uh, we had uh, Will Bednar make it in 20. Of course, that was the abbreviated year. And so you had Christian McLeod and uh, Bednar made it in 2020. And then Bednar and Landon Sims made it in 2021. So basically, was that seven straight years now 
that you've had a Mississippi State Bulldog to be a freshman All-American. And so that's the thing that you begin to look at. You know, we talk about recruiting. Of course, there's a lot more publications these days. And so I think it's important we talk about recruiting and about refilling the pipeline. You know, and that's the thing at Mississippi State. You know, we expect young guys to come in here ready to compete. And one of the things that I think gets lost in the discussion, you know, about many of these uh, younger players, you know, and guys that are draft eligible earlier, you know, you've got parents nowadays that are not starting kids on time. You have parents that are holding players back a year to allow them to get bigger and faster and stronger. So when they hit the college level, they're older and they're a little more college ready, shall we say. But then they're draft eligible in like two years, whereas before it would be three. Three years removed from high school or 21. So now what's happening, guys are turning 21. They're hitting the draft eligible age before they uh, get to their three years of eligibility. And so as a result, guys have to hit the ground running. They've got to put themselves in a position where they contribute because of the fact they're going to be draft eligible usually by the end of their sophomore year. It's not always the case. You know, Hunter Hines is a guy that's going to be draft eligible in uh, three in two more years. So he'll be here uh, through the 2024 season. And a lot of people don't realize, too, that Hunter Hines is a guy that played about a half the season uh, with kind of a beat-up hand. That's one of the reasons he's not out playing a lot of summer league baseball. Now he's just here working out, getting better, stronger, getting healthy. Just imagine what he can do 100% healthy. That guy's a masher, man. He's going to be your first baseman for the next couple of years. Yeah, I think you feel really good about, you know, the direction and the trajectory of his career. I, I know that I do. And I don't know that we saw that coming. He wasn't a highly heralded recruit. You know, didn't go to a lot of those perfect game events, so he didn't get the hype. And it's one of the things that I, I share with people sometimes, too. You know, for the guy that is expected to be drafted at a high school, they're going to go to a ton of those events. And they're going to get ranked and evaluated, and everybody's going to know who they are. But for the guy that maybe doesn't travel as much, that maybe the guy that's like, now nah, I'm going to go to college, and I've already got my offer, I know where I want to go, well, they're not going to go to those events. And a guy like Hunter Hines is probably not a guy that expected to get drafted very high out of high school. And so what does it really benefit him if he is committed to his dream school and he knows that he is not going to be a guy that's going to be drafted high enough to go? Why would he continue to go to these perfect game events? Well, he wouldn't, and he didn't. And so as a result, you look at the rankings and everybody's like, well, how in the world could these other guys be ranked ahead of him? Well, that's how. If the perfect game evaluators don't see him, why are they going to rank him? Right? And that's usually how this thing goes. Take it from a former college baseball parent. You know, the guys that go to all these events, they remain in the conversation, so they get ranked. And, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, in any way – you know, cast aspersions at the baseball ranking procedure. I'm just trying to explain how this whole thing works. And, you know, we, we see it in football all the time. Recruiting rankings are very important. They absolutely are. But they're not the be-all, end-all. What they're really doing is ranking you on your potential, not your polish. And so you got to get to college. you got to refine your game no matter what you play. It's like, oh, this guy's a five-star. I mean, there's guys out there that are obvious. I mean, guys like LeBron James, yeah, he's a five-star. Look, he's still playing. You know, you don't need to be, you know, an astute evaluator of talent to say that LeBron James is going to be a stud in high school. I mean, it was obvious. He was the most athletic guy on the floor. Baseball is a little different. Guys play at different classifications. I mean, there's some guys in, in Mississippi, they don't see a breaking ball until they get to the next level. I mean, honestly, 
I mean, they, they may see a fastball that has got a little dip in the zone, but there, aren't, there, there are a lot of these smaller classifications in Mississippi where basically all you're going to see is fastball. You're not going to see a quality breaking ball until you get to college or even junior college. And we've got a really good junior college system in Mississippi, but again, it's the father of a kid that went through that system. You know, I saw some pitching on the junior college level uh, that really wasn't much better than I saw what we saw in high school. Now, granted, we played in a really good district, but the reality of it is is that guys mature and develop at different rates, and a lot of it's because of what they face. And so that when that's why everybody wants to get on the best travel teams, right? You want to see the best pitching available. You want to take your lumps as a young recruit as you're kind of figuring this thing out, so that way when you get to college, you can contribute earlier in your career. Hunter Hines is a guy that's done that. And so congratulations to Hunter and his family. Comes from a big baseball family, a big bulldog family. Sister married a diamond dog. I mean, come on. Guy had to be here. And now he's a freshman All-American and deserves every single bit of that. And so he'll be back next year, and we're all excited about that and kind of ready to see what he's going to be able to do. I want to take some time now and kind of look at those guys we do expect to be back and look at. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. 
Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. How maybe they improved year over year. As you know, it's not going to just be about the newcomers, right? In order for us to get where we want to be, we're going to have to have some returning players make a jump. Some guys made a jump this year. And some of that jump is really attributed to just simply getting at bats, just getting in the lineup every day. Uh, but, you know, that's the reality of it is, is yeah, we're going to bring some guys in to help make us better. But the guys that are returning, they got to improve too. So let's kind of look at the trajectory of a couple guys that we know that will be back. Let's start with Kellum Clark. Kellum Clark in 2021, the year we won an AFL championship, hit 237. Scored 22 runs, had 22 hits, seven doubles, a triple, five dingers, uh, 16 RBI. That's the stat line for 2021. You look at what he does in 2022, he hits 257. So we're talking about, you know, 20-point jump there. And then the rest, everything else just kind of exponentially goes from there. 41 runs scored, 48 hits, 12 doubles, a triple, 14 home runs. All right, if we get that kind of production from him next year, I think we'll be good. But I think what we, we've got to see that batting average come up a little bit. And, and as the batting average comes up, I think the rest of the numbers come with it. There were some times this year, of course, you know, he takes some big swing. But let's be honest, that's one of the reasons he's in the lineup is to be a power guy. You, know, you, I don't, you don't want you know, that guy up there you know, working counts and things like that. Sometimes the situation dictates that. But he's there to be a master. He took a jump this year. There is still some refinement left in his game. You know, taking that breaking ball the other way, you know, for a single, uh, especially in SEC games, rather than trying to pull everything. And listen, there are some times Kellum has shown some opposite field power. And so in order for, you know, for us to kind of keep going, you feel like, okay, if, if we get what we got from him this year, we'll feel pretty good. But uh, the reality of it is, is that he's got to do a better job all the way around, and he'll tell you the same thing. One thing's interesting, too, that you look at the walk numbers, he had 26 this year, 26, and had uh, fewer at-bats than some of the guys that beat him out. You know, Cam James uh, had 30 walks this year, Logan Tanner 32, and Luke Hancock 36. And, of course, Luke, uh, one of the toughest outs in the country. Luke also plunked about 12 pitches this year. That's a statistic that kind of uh, snuck through. So, you know, Callum is the guy that will let you walk him, and that's kind of the sign of maturity. But, again, there is still some refinement left in his game. Guy has a lot of potential. I, I expect a big year. For, I think he could be a 20-home run guy next year. Got to have some pieces around him, right? And that's why going and getting lead better like that is so important. You got to get some guys out there that give some length to your lineup so you can't pitch around your power bats. All right, let's take a look now at uh, Lane Forsyth. Lane Forsyth was a guy that uh, – you know, we talked about that last year. It's like, you know, he gets inserted in the lineup and then really never leaves – and uh, really made a difference with our team. I don't think there's any question about that. Guy was outstanding for us defensively. Offensively, he had some struggles. But let's talk at the offense, the offensive numbers and maybe look at his, his progression. In 2021, he hits 231. All right, those are not great numbers. This year, he hits 273. So a 42-point increase in his batting average. And much of that came in the second half of the season after he and Gotro kind of worked about working away and working back towards the middle rather than try to pull things. You know, Lane's not a huge guy. He's not a guy that's going to be able to pull balls over the fence. I mean, he's got the one home run uh, in two years, but that's just not his game. 
That's just, and that's okay. We, we don't need him to have that kind of that game. We don't need him to be the power guy. We need him to be the base hit up the middle, get on base type guy. Forsyth last year scored 30 runs, had 43 hits, five doubles, the one home run, 21 RBI. All right, let's look this year. All right, so we mentioned 273. Okay, 18 runs, 30 hits, three doubles, the triple, didn't hit a home run this year, and 12 rubies. And, again, some of that's a byproduct, too, of uh, the people in front of him not getting on or hitting home runs, kind of him hitting in situations where there aren't guys in scoring position. But batting average is up. You'd like to see the rest of it kind of come along with it. But you know what? If we get Lane Forsyth out there uh, playing elite defense, and he is an elite defender, I had a discussion earlier today uh, with some friends of mine. We're talking about, you know, because it's, you know how it is. I mean, we're all, we all want Mississippi State baseball to do well. And it's like we're kind of piling on saying, oh, we weren't good defensively. Guys, we were sixth in the country last year defensively in fielding percentage. Sixth led the SEC. Defense wasn't our issue. And when you've got a shortstop like Lane Forsyth, it kind of stands to reason. You know, Lane is a guy that is, is going to be able to uh, make plays that most people can't. Very, very good footwork, big arm. So if we get 275 out of him next year, you know, maybe we can get double-digit doubles out of him, you know, because he is a punch-and-judy hitter. That's what he is and who he is. But I think if you got that guy, if he just gives you what he gave you this year, I think you're in pretty good shape because you don't expect him to really be a run producer. You want him to be a table setter. But, um, you know, it's interesting to kind of see how Lane has improved. And, again, hey, what if he gives you 300 next year? What if he hits 300? What if he takes maybe not the same jump, but if he just gets half the jump that he took this year and he's hitting around 300? What would that do to our winning possibilities? Well, it would help tremendously. It absolutely would. Uh, so I think it's important to kind of look at that and kind of you know understand those, those guys coming back you know, big for Mississippi State. You know, Luke Hancock's a guy, too. I don't know what he's going to do in the draft. Possibility may come back. I know there's some. There's a lot of discussion about that, so we'll see. Uh, you know, and here's some guys, too, that are, that are returning. They were first-year players on this year's team. Von Siebert was primarily a uh, left-handed pinch hitter for us, and you need some guys like that. He started just four games for us, played in 36, hit 273. Yeah, you know, the thing with him that I notice is that um, I don't know that he that he has maybe the bat speed. He's strong and powerful guy, but I don't see the bat head get out in front with, and like have an aggressive point of contact where he's you know shooting that ball you know into the right field corner. There's a lot of just kind of solid singles and balls hit back up the middle, and, and sometimes in a pinch hit situation, that's all you need. But you'd like to see him kind of take a jump. He hit 273 this year. Uh, no extra base hits. And that's the thing you look at. you got a big, strong guy like that. And granted, he needs ABs, but you'd like to get, you know, some uh, better production when it comes to that. Um, Slate Offord is a guy that a lot of people told us beginning of the year was going to be an outstanding player for us and that he might actually uh, send Cam James to the outfield. Not that Cam didn't handle third base. He did. Cam had a really good year defensively this year. Uh, but there was to get our best bats in the lineup. There was discussion that Cam may go to center, so they could get Alford's bat in the order. And and Slate is a guy too. And even talking to Jake Gotro, he he said, you know, fans don't even really appreciate yet what he can do. You know, he's got a, he's got some real power. It's just about kind of letting him see him pitching this year and kind of get up to speed. We need him to take a big jump next year. 
playing third base, he's going to have to be a double-digit home run guy for us. He hit 209 this year, started nine games, played in 26, 43 ABs, five runs, uh, nine hits. And uh, looking at the K, the Ks have got to come down. 13, 13 Ks. And you, listen, you don't expect a freshman. I mean, everybody's going to be Jake Mangum. You're going to have some guys go up there that are going to struggle. And then they see a big guy like him, too, uh, got a little bit of a longer swing at times. You know, they're, they're going to try to gas that fastball by him. But we need him to take the next jump for us. Aaron Downs is a guy, you know, he missed some time early in the year, and then he got banged up. We just got to get him healthy. This is a guy, too, when he hits a baseball, it's violent contact, whether it's an out or not. This guy, when he barrels up the baseball. Uh, hit 206 this year, 18 games played, seven starts. I think all those were in left. And uh, 34 ABs, five runs scored, seven hits. Had, did have three doubles and uh, a couple of RBIs. But um, these are guys that are just re- we're really just kind of beginning to learn about their potential and let those guys get acclimated. But when you begin to think about what you have coming in, what you have coming back, you've got the makings of a very athletic lineup. Now it's about getting the hits to go along with it. You know, if I had to call it today, you know, it's like, you know, is, is Led better to center fielder, be left fielder? Don't know. I think a lot of that's going to depend on um, who else you get out of the portal. You go get Ethan Groff from Tulane, well, then that's two of your outfield spots right there, and, and maybe you leave Kellum Clark out there and right. You got offered, of course, at third, Forsyth at second. Let's say Nate Chester or another transfer guy in at second base, Hunter Hines at first. We got to figure out the catching spot. And I think Ross Highfield is the guy that will catch the true freshman. He's a Major League Baseball prospect as well. Is he the midweek guy and maybe once on the weekends, a DH a little bit? Does Luke come back? You know, that, that's the thing you got to kind of figure out from here. But, you know, you've got some young guys, but you've got to balance that off. Just because this is, you know, we had high hopes for Slate Alford and Aaron Downs this year, and you look at their numbers, both of them is hitting barely over 200. Well, you know, what's Ross Highfield going to do next year? We're probably not going to be nearly as good as he will be as a junior, right? And so, you're depending on these guys to make a jump, and you've got other guys coming in the pipeline behind them that'll probably perform in a similar manner that they did. Yeah, but Ross is going to have to mash. He really is. And uh, this is a guy, too, that's canceled all his pre-draft workout. He's not going to the combine. He's coming to college. But you start looking at that order, and you see some real potential. You see some power in the order. You know, Slate Offered and Aaron Downs are going to have to bring some juice on the right side. There's no question about it. And that was one of the things that I thought, you know, we really had to kind of look at when we got ready to figure this thing out, you know, how it was all going to work, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with hitters and, you know, we, we, we go out and get them the left-handed power bat. And so we're going to need somebody on that right side to kind of take off for us. Because right now, you add Ledbetter in and you begin to think about uh, Ledbetter, Clark, Hines, your elite home run hitters are all on one side. So we've got to balance that out. So Alford and Downs have got to step up. But what that tells me is we likely need to add a right-handed power bat out of the portal. And who knows the person with a Hunter Hines out there waiting from the right side. Don't know. You, you can't bank on that. But that's probably pitching and then going out and getting the right-handed power bat. Those are the things. Because, like, a May day at Duty Noble Field, it seems like sometimes you just hit a hard fly ball to left, it's going to get out. Well, we need some guys that can do that. We need some guys that can, you know, hit double-digit home runs for us from the right side. If not, you know, uh, 
it's going to make it an easier matchup. And, um, you know, that's the thing I, I think about, too, is, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, T.A. and those guys and the, the job they, they've done here at Mississippi State, and, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our best players – in program history, have been power hitters from the right side. I mean, Rafi, Will, you know, you know, you know the list. But that's to me that that's one of the needs you look at. It's like, okay, if Nate Chester can come in here and be a dude and take over at second base, and he's got it's got a little pop in his bat too. I don't know that you can depend on that, but it, but he could potentially be a double digit home run guy. Slate Alford could potentially be a double digit home run guy, but you've got to find somebody else. So maybe as a designated hitter that can step in there and swing that bat from the right-hand side and uh, and kind of turn the game around for you. That was the thing, too, like when Foskey was here, you know, especially in you know, 19 and especially 2020, is, you know, Foskey was a guy that could turn a game around on one pitch, you know, because he was such a disciplined hitter. You know, if we could go find another Justin Foskey, we'd be doing good. And granted, he was a first-round draft pick, so that's easier said than done. But we need a guy like that. We need a guy that can go out there and turn a game around. Because when you start thinking about stacking this order up, you got some real potential in there. But, you know, I, I begin to think about, you know, Heinz Clark. Heinz Clark and Ledbetter are all right there together. You, you wouldn't want to stack three left-handers. You'd like to go left, right, left, right. You see, you don't put yourself in a bad situation late in the ball game where they can just kind of match you up with a lefty. You'd like to be able to alternate left to right. But when you start thinking about those guys in the heart of this order, it, it's, it's kind of easy to get excited. But we've got to go out and kind of retool those pitching staff. And, of course, we've got some guys that are signed that we, you know, and there's a lot of optimism. We're going to get most of the guys we signed uh, on the campus. And if we do, you know, then all of a sudden you can turn this thing around really quickly. But I, I just don't think you can depend on first-year players to, to help turn this pitching staff around. You're going to need them, obviously. I think Bradley Lofton is a dude. I've talked to so many people that really like him. He didn't have a great show in, uh, in the state championship final. But this guy can really play. I mean, talking to some cross-checkers, they'll tell you, this guy could be the key to Mississippi State's recruiting class. He's that good. So you get him with some other guys, you feel good about, you know, kind of developing the pipeline. But we have got to go out and get, you know, a couple more guys. You've got to find a closer somewhere. Absolutely have to find a closer. And that's the thing, too, that I go back to that I don't want to mention any names, I don't want to hurt any feelings or anything like that. Uh, but the reality of it is we had some guys that we just couldn't count on this year. Even even prior to the injuries, you know, we, we had so many questions with this bullpen. And, uh, you know, I've read all the criticisms of moving Landon Sims from closer to starter. Uh, that doesn't change anything. You know, he probably gets injured either way. It's just kind of how life is. You just never know when it's going to happen. I mean, how many times have you been in a car accident? It wasn't your fault, right? I mean, there's just things that happen in life. But we knew that we were going to have question marks on the back end. And then all of a sudden you start losing some guys. And we really never truly identified a closer, even in fall baseball. So we're kind of auditioning for that as we go along. And then very first weekend, KC is out, right? KC was the guy who was the best pitcher in the fall. We felt great about him. And then we lose him. Then we lose Landon. I mean, it's ad nauseum. We've all been through it so many times. But we've got to identify somebody who can go out there and get three to six outs for us late in the ballgame. Because, I mean, how, how comfortable was it in 2021 – we get to the sixth inning with a lead, the game is over. I mean, we shorten games on you. If you if, if we got a quality start and we could piece it together with one setup guy that maybe gets you through the seven and gets you through six or seven, the game is over. You weren't going to win. You had no chance to win. 
And so I don't know if we see anybody like that for a while, you know, with, with Landon Sims' alpha dog mentality and that four-seam fastball that's almost unhittable at times. But we've got to go out and identify a closer. And I think that's a big part of things as we kind of move forward with the, uh, you know, with our decisions in the portal is going and getting those guys and coming here and fill a need for us. Because when you look at us this year, you know, there were times we pieced it together a little bit in middle relief, but when it came down to close that game, we couldn't do it. And uh, I think KC is probably back. And there's some people that like him a lot. So I could see him getting drafted. Is it high enough to go? I don't know. But let's be honest. I mean, you KC was kind of forced into a role that he really wasn't prepared to pitch. He starts the year as a as a starter. The next thing you know, he's a middle relief guy. They were hoping to have him close out games, and it just didn't always work out. And, and tip of the cap to KC Hunt for just kind of showing up there and doing whatever's asked for him of him. And the guy, the, the guy's a gamer for sure. But he's one of those guys that had to do it all at some point this year. And so I, I think you know another year will be good for him. Uh, but there's, it all it takes is one team to really like him. But uh, I think when you begin to think about piecing this thing together, that, that's where, you know, the crux of the transfers, I think, needs to come from, is finding guys that can compete on the weekend. And if they can't, then they're your midweek or your middle relievers. But we have absolutely got to find a lights-out closer. And there's some guys, some names have been passed along to me. And, you know, you talk to your cross-checker friends, and I'll tell you, I, Steve, that kid's getting drafted. That kid's getting drafted. So we have got to go find the guy. Absolutely have to go find the guy. And then, again, there's some teams out there that are still playing that will have teams go on the portal. You, you saw a rash of that this week as teams were eliminated. Uh, that you, then you saw guys go get in the portal. So it's important to kind of understand kind of how things are going to progress. There will be new entrants into the portal all the way up until July 1st. And if you want to play next year and be eligible, you got to be in by July 1st. All right, time for today's top ten list, brought to you by our friend Blair Chandler at CloseTheBlair.com. You know, I did this other day, and let me fix this. Right out of the gate, before we get to Blair, our prime strength player of the game is going to be Hunter Hines. We didn't play a game, but the guy's a freshman All-American. How can we not make Hunter Hines our prime strength player of the day? I meant to do that earlier. Got busy talking about returning players, and I got excited. and I forgot, so I apologize. So, Hunter Hines, our PrimeShrimp.com player of the game. Go to PrimeShrimp.com right now. Right now, and order yourself some shrimp. I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I have people that say, you know, Steve, I heard you talking about it, and I decided to give it a try, and it is outstanding. I had somebody just, just yesterday said, hey, Steve, I saved 20 bucks on my first order by using promo code Boneyard. That's exactly correct. Get that order in today. It's summertime, and you don't want all the – that's the thing about shrimp. I love eating it, man, but I, the prep is ridiculous, and the cleanup is awful, and – you forget to take out the trash that night. You wake up and the house stinks for a week. Eliminate all that drama for your life. Go to PrimeShrimp.com. Four great flavors to choose from. And that's the thing, too. It's already ready to cook. It shows up in the pouches ready to cook. They fit in your freezer easily. They store very, very conveniently. So when you're ready, you put on a pot of boiling water. Ten minutes later, you drop that shrimp in there. Ten minutes after that, you got... French Quarter quality shrimp on your table. Uh, I like the Simply Seasoned. I like the Louisiana Shrimp Bowl. I like them all. But I pro- my favorite is probably that uh, you know, the New Orleans Alfredo, French Quarter Alfredo. That's probably my favorite one because you get the sauce and the shrimp together. So it's like it's just so much easier. I, I just warm up a bed of fettuccine noodles, cook my, my shrimp, and then when it's over with, I can just combine them together. And it's like I'm sitting there uh, you know, on Decatur Street there in French Quarter. It's outstanding. 
PrimeShrimp.com, promo code Boneyard. Check them out today. All right, top 10 list. So the top 10 list is one of those things, too, that uh, it's dynamic. It's like I wanted to do albums on Monday, and sometimes I'd change them on, and I'd watch the Sex Pistols thing this weekend. And so I wanted to get that done while it was fresh. But uh, we're going to talk about one of my favorite artists today. And I believe is the coolest person on the planet. Probably one of the reasons that I have dreads is because of this individual. Reminds you that the top 10 list brought to you by your friends clothes with Blair.com. It's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler, a longtime friend of mine. Love that guy to death, man. And uh, guys always got his hand in something. Always, always, always. The, the primary function, though, is being a mortgage professional. And when you're going to deal with something as serious as your mortgage, you need to deal with a professional and not from somebody from a fly-by-night company. Blair Chandler works at Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it came to mortgage lending. So whether you're looking to refinance and you say, but Steve, I don't know what that means. Well, if you got a bunch of debt and you're living paycheck to paycheck and you got some equity in your house, it might be something worth pursuing. Improve your quality of life. You don't want to get overextended and you know, be a non-conforming borrower and all this kind of stuff. But the reality of it is sometimes life happens to us and we need to reset. It's good to have your equity available to you so you're able to do that. I think it's a very important process for a lot of people. Rather than stressing and you know, every month you're worried about, hey, my debit card going to get declined the day before payday when I go to lunch. You don't have to live that way. Or maybe you're looking for the dream of home ownership. And maybe that's remained elusive for you. Blair can help you with that. Mention to Blair when you call him on his personal cell or text him 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And you tell him, Steve Robertson told you to tell him, I heard about you on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. It's as simple as that. It's nice that somebody's willing to kind of give you some incentive to do business with them. A lot of people want your business. Blair's going to offer you some incentive as a listener of the show. Again, that's closewithblair.com, C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. All right, so top 10 list. Lenny Kravis has released 11 albums. We're going to put 10 of them together today. Ray's Vibration didn't make the list, and to be honest with you, I'm ashamed to say I'm not as especially maybe in tune with that one. You know, it's the more recent album, and I I need to just make some time on my travel and listen to that one. But uh, I'm going to rank them top 10 to 1. I'm a huge Lenny Kravitz fan, so some of these songs weren't singles. These are songs that may be a little deeper in the catalog, but I think it's important that you get those too because you know, sometimes I disagree with the record company. There's sometimes there's some songs you can just hear, and it's like there's just a special quality about this song, whether it got played on the radio or not. See, there's a couple of those, but I got some hits in here for you too. Number 10, off the album, Time for a Love Revolution. One of the better ballads in the Lenny Kravitz catalog. Absolutely love this one. It's I'll Be Waiting. And it was co-written by Craig Ross. Craig Ross is kind of the the Robin to Lenny Kravitz as Batman. Craig Ross is an incredible musician and songwriter. And I don't know that people fully give him his due, but uh, you know, this album, Time for It's Time for Love Revolution, uh, had a handful of singles. I think I'll Be Waiting is the best of them. And Bring It On is good too. It's a little bit disjointed at times, but um, you know, this is one of those albums, too, where the critics really loved it. And uh, I don't know that the sales maybe were truly indicative of how good the album is. But uh, number 10, it was the eighth album in Lenny's catalog. Number nine, Black and White America. 
uh, and it was it was you know several years ago, so it was kind of uh, it was an interesting time in the country, and it seems like it always is. But Lenny, you kind of released this. You know, it was around the time that um, Barack Obama was in office and that sort of stuff, and so it was just kind of like. You know, Lenny, of course, is biracial. It's just one of those situations where he it was, in his mind, kind of a an album of, of unity in many respects. And it is a very lengthy album. It was recorded down in the Bahamas and uh, had several singles come off this album. Several. But uh, I, I didn't pick a single. I, I didn't. And there were a bunch of them. Come on and get it and stand. We're on the radio. People love those. But I went with a deeper track. I went with I Can't Be Without You. I think that is a very different song. It is more in the ballad family, but it's one of those songs, too, that I, I think is kind of a high mark on the album. I, I think it was maybe underappreciated by the record company. But that's an album, too. Maybe if you were a Lenny fan and maybe you hadn't caught up with a more recent catalog, that's one I think you should listen to. Number eight, and this album, some days, like I can put this thing on, and I can't decide if it's new Lenny or old Lenny, but it's true, Lenny, for sure. It's the album Strut. One of my favorite tracks on this one that I did, I almost, almost went this direction, is a song called Dirty White Boots. It's just great. New York City is great. The song Strut is great. But uh, I went with another deep track here. I don't know how people can put this song on and not be happy. It's just so peppy and poppy, and it's really unlike a lot of things in Lenny's catalog. And this is an album, too, that I, I think is just top to bottom outstanding. But it's the song, I'm a Believer. I mean, it's like you hear it. I don't know how you couldn't clap and sing along to it. It is that kind of song. It's like it's just one of those songs that makes you move. All right, number seven, the album Baptism. This is another one, too, where, you know, Lenny was still kind of trying to find some things, I guess. You know, there's a lot of changes going on in life. And there's been a couple of times in his career where he's had some albums that were a little bit darker in some respects. I think Baptism is one of those. Um, one of my favorite albums is one that is considered the darkest of the Lenny Kravitz albums, and it was around the time that he was going through divorce and uh, being away from his child and that sort of stuff. But uh, Baptism, I think, is one that kind of has some of those same elements. Again, another you know pretty high-selling album for him, but uh, in many respects, if I remember correctly, it was the lowest maybe rated album of his career. But uh, it had a handful of singles on it, but uh, we, didn't, we didn't go with a single again. I guess we did. I guess Where Are We Running was a single on the album. But uh, Storm is a good one. Calling All Angels is really good, too. Um, the song Baptized is interesting. What Did I Do With My Life is another one. Jay-Z actually has a guest spot on a song called Storm. Lionel Richie is on Destiny. How about that? He was a songwriter on that. Um, but I think Where Are We Running... Is, is a good one. But this album, again, it's a little disjointed. It just is. It, it's a little bit disjointed. And I'm a Lenny fan through and through, but this is one of those albums that uh, I think the high spots on this album are enough, but there is it's kind of a roller coaster in some respects, if that makes sense to you. It's like you've got a really good song and then one's kind of average. Then you got a really good song and you got one and, eh, you know. Whereas some of the other albums that are ahead of it, a little more consistency. Okay, uh, number six is the album simply entitled Lenny. came out, man, 21 years ago now. It's hard to even believe this. The lead single on this album is going to be your your song. It's going to be Dig In. And I love the percussion on this one. It is absolutely incredible. It's one of those ones, too. It's like, you know, Lenny is a guy, too, that uh, 
has kind of messed around with his band a few times too. You know, he'll bring some people in or whatever. You know, he he and Craig have been together for a long time. But um, there's just a lot to it with Lenny. But this is one of those albums too. Like, I think "Believe in Me" is a beautiful song. "Stillness of My Heart." I think that's one of Craig Ross's greatest contributions. "If I Could Fall in Love" is incredible. This, unlike "Baptism," there's not as much up and down with it. It's kind of an even trajectory, and I guess and and dig in to me is just one of those absolutely incredible ones. Absolutely incredible ones. All right, so let's uh, let's move on now to the top five. And I think most people would agree this is the top five albums. You may disagree. I I think this is probably we may disagree on the order, but I think at the end of the day, these are the five best Lenny Kravitz album. And what's the, what's interesting too is because of Lenny's incredible talent it's one of these deals where how many artists out there could have five albums that people could feel so passionately about and say this is the best Lenny Kravitz album right a lot of bands out there it's like oh this is the best album and then I kind of like this one and then that's kind of like the end of the discussion but I think if you sat down in a room of people that really really dig Lenny Kravitz these are the five they come up with and we're going back to number the debut album is my number five album Let Love Rule and we're going to go with the uh go with the um, the title track, Let Love Rule. And this is when music was very, very different when this album came out. This is in, it came out uh, in 89. Goodness gracious. It came out the fall of my senior year of high school. I'm an old guy. But this was not really like what I was listening to. But when I would come to Mississippi State and see my friends, I'd see Keith Jones, other people like that, this is what they were listening to. So like, I'm listening to Motley and Bon Jovi and Skid Row, and they were listening to this. And so I got exposed to this actually on the Mississippi State campus and, of course, MTV because it was different. They were really pushing Lenny. Uh, but I came up here to State, and it's like, it seemed like all the girls that were cute were listening to Lenny Kravitz. And I was like, I can get into this, you know. But I didn't realize at the time that it was going to end up being somebody that would be instrumental in the soundtrack of my life. Absolutely incredible. So, again, I guess I kind of owe this to uh, Mississippi State, right? Um a lot of great songs on this one. You know, uh, I Build This Garden for Us is just an absolutely precious song. Mr. Cab Driver is really funny, and it's uh, really kind of a sad commentary, but uh, Lenny has a good laugh about it. But it's one of those things, too. It's like this was going on 20 years ago. It's still happening today. All right, number four, and this is one of the darkest albums in the Lenny Kravitz catalog, and I guess maybe one of the reasons that I like it, it's, it was around, it was a kind of a dark period in my life, too. You know, I've been sober uh, for a few years. This comes out in 1995. And uh, the lead single is not ours, not our song for today. Rock and Roll is Dead was kind of released as an advanced single on the album. And I liked it a lot, but I didn't like the, uh, the kind of the message behind it. But um, there are so many good out songs on this album. To me, I, I think it's one of those ones that you can start with one and just hit play and let it go all the way through. Uh, I love the song Magdalene. Oh, uh, that's incredible. And uh, Tunnel Vision, that's that's one of those songs that you, you put on, you're, it's going to make you move. Beyond the Seven Sky is great, and that's a Craig Ross kind of primary written track. But we're going to go with Can't Get You Off My Mind. How can we do a Lenny Kravitz album without throwing that in? It's, a, it's just this whole album, start to finish, is fabulous. And the fact that it's number four on the list, I think says a lot about the albums that are ahead. And this is not one that rated really high. It sold pretty well. But when you look back in, in time, it's like, you know, this is, you begin to think about this. 
This was Lenny Kravitz's first top 10 album in both the United States and the UK. The fourth album in the catalog, even though he'd had some big hits, this is one of those ones that people are like, you know what? This guy's got some staying power. He is for real. All right, number three. The number three album for me was actually the second album that was released, and that's Mama Said. Of course, a lot of us got the... This was a smart move by Lenny Kravitz. On the second album, he brought in Slash as a guest musician, and so all of a sudden he had some credibility with the rock community. And this is an album, too, that has so many good songs on it. I I could have made a case that this could be number one. There are so many great ones. Again, it's one you can just kind of let play and let it go. But uh, we're going to go with Always on the Run. That's going to be your song today off the Mama Said album, Always on the Run. It Ain't Over Till It's Over was a huge hit. It was a song written about Lisa Bonet. And then um, Stop Dragging Around is another one. And, of course, he and and Lisa Bonet had a child, uh, Zoe Kravitz. Many of you know her. There's a song written for her called Flowers for Zoe. And then there's one, uh, track number 13 is What the Blank Are We Saying? And I know the title is somewhat offensive. The song itself is actually very inspirational. It's about basically being better people and setting better examples for our children um, and maybe not using that language. But um, this is a great one. And uh, Stand By My Woman is another one that is just, it, it is such a throwback. It doesn't even sound like anything from the 80s. And I think it's one of the reasons Lenny was able to stand out. Is he just kind of trusted his own vision for his music, and he delivered. And uh, one of the most incredible musicians of my lifetime. I don't think there's any question about it. All right, number two for me, you may disagree, is the album five. I think this is one of those albums, too, that um, you can just let it play. Uh, I Belong to You is an absolutely amazing love song. Super Soul Fighter is one that's probably underappreciated. Black Velveteen is another one that was kind of critically acclaimed. We're going to go with the song Fly Away. I think everybody knew that one, but uh, there are some tracks on this one that are a little bit deeper. They didn't get a lot of airplay that I think will be very important for you if you go back and listen to it. If you like Lenny Kravitz, I think this is an album maybe you, maybe you weren't quite as familiar with. Maybe you aged out a little bit. You go back. This is one of the ones I think will kind of pull you back in. And when they re-released it, American Woman, of course, from The Spy Who Shagged Me made the list. But uh, there's just not a bad song on the album. There's just so much consistency in the catalog. But I think this, again, is one of the best ones. But uh, the number one album for me, and we're going to go with the title track off this one. And if you know Lenny Kravitz, you already know which one it is. It's already going to go my way. Incredible album from start to finish. And again, I, I just think it's one of those things, one of those albums, too, that, uh, that comes along at an important time of your life. Uh, Heaven Help is, a, is an absolute banger of a song. I uh, absolutely love that one. Just Be a Woman is another one. Is There Any Love in Your Heart? It's just one of those songs, too. It's almost kind of gut-wrenching. But uh, Are You Gonna Go My Way? That's it. And the video is incredible, and uh, Lenny won all kind of awards for this album. And I think this was, in, in many respects... Maybe Lenny's coming out party. And then people are like, oh, but Steve, he was so critically acclaimed with the first album. And he was. And then he'd established some, some credibility with album number two. I think Are You Gonna Go My Way as an album really legitimized him as a performer. I think people realize this isn't just a guy with dreads and, you know, a handsome guy with an image. This guy is a, is a, is a true musician. He's an artist. Uh, and I think this is one of those albums that there is not – an album that is a, a greater indicator of Lenny Kravitz's genius than the album Are You Gonna Go My Way. So there you go. Top 10 Lenny Kravitz albums. I always, always enjoy talking about Lenny Kravitz. 
Um, there's just so much to him, too. He does a lot of stuff for children's music. He has done a ton of things. He's done concerts, done benefits. He's donated money uh, to encourage kids to learn to play instruments and embrace music and songwriting. Um, and so I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I don't know if he still has his place in New Orleans. I think he still does. But uh, he lived in New Orleans for a while, and uh, there were a lot of things that happened down there. Of course, uh, you know, when those schools restarted, and Lenny was responsible for helping privately kind of get those music programs restarted again. And I think that says a lot about his character as a person and uh, proud to call myself a fan of Lenny Kravitz. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, please reach out and let me know. Or better yet, reach out to Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. Thank Roy for uh, putting all these things together for us. Makes it awfully easy, for sure. Absolutely makes it easy for me. And uh, so we'll come back on, on Friday. And I don't know what we're going to do yet. We may, we may let it be Roy's choice. We hadn't done a Roy's choice in a while. Roy was on vacation last week, and I'm going to be on vacation next week. And, again, I'll give you programming notes on Monday, how we're going to handle all that. But uh, we'll have some shows for you. How about that? All right, this segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Villain institution. I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too. If you haven't given them a try, allow them to serve you when you're looking for the latest and greatest Mississippi State merchandise. Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, Miss Pam Minyard, the whole crew there will treat you like family because in their minds, you are family. It's quite simple, really. If you can't make it to town to see them, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And buy yourself something, right? You get so busy, you kind of bankrolling everybody else's needs. Take care of yourself. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, we're not playing baseball, but, you know, I love college baseball. And, man, Monday, what a great day of college baseball that proved to be. I watched it all day once we got done with the show. So here are the 16 teams that are remaining. I'm going to give you my prediction of how all this will go down. Uh, looking forward to seeing some more college baseball, even though we're not playing. I don't, I'm not as emotionally invested, so sometimes I just kind of enjoy watching the quality of play. Tennessee and Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame could get Tennessee. I don't think they will. I do think it goes three games. I think this is going to be a very entertaining Super Regional. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, Tennessee, you know, the odds on favor to win it. But uh, Notre Dame, and, and look at these guys. Like last year, they go on the road in a Super Regional against the eventual NAFL champion. This year, on the road for a Super Regional against the expected NAFL champion. Uh, so, you know, kind of tough luck, right? But I do think Notre Dame – can make a game of this. Link Jarrett's a great coach. I don't know how long Notre Dame can keep him. I know that uh, Tennessee has really thrown some money behind their program and trying to keep Tony Botello there finally relevant in college baseball. This is a chance for Notre Dame to really legitimize themselves as a, as a player on the national scene in college baseball. I know they won the ACC last year, even though it probably deserves an asterisk next to it. But this is one of those program-defining type series for them. And, again, they're going to pitch it. They're going to pitch it and play good defense. But uh, Tennessee, they, they make it difficult to catch it when they hit it over the fence. Texas and East Carolina. I'm going to pick Texas to win this one. I think Texas and Ivan Melendez offensively, I think they can overwhelm East Carolina. East Carolina, of course, uh, you know, kind of had their way with Coastal on Monday. I think Texas 
is beginning to kind of play up to their potential. I, I think they make it back to Omaha again. Now, the, the advance beyond that, I don't think they can make it out of that bracket. But I think Texas could make this thing awfully interesting and, and maybe get into a bracket final. I think in the end, whoever wins between Tennessee and Texas is probably going to represent that side of the bracket in the College World Series final. I just don't think East Carolina has enough. I think East Carolina is among the best mid-majors in the country. I think their record shows that. They're, they're, they're a top eight national seed for a reason. But the Longhorns, with the experience of last year, the moment won't be too big for them. They feel like they should have played for it all last year. Of course, they didn't get a chance to do so because Mississippi State eliminated them. But I think this East Carolina team has probably gone as far as they can go. Uh, so we'll take Texas. Matter of fact, I think Texas actually takes it two games. All right, A&M and Louisville. I actually picked Louisville to win this one uh, from the very beginning. I think Louisville makes it to Omaha. Dan McDonald, one of the best coaches in the country. I think A&M, their new money in many respects, uh, had, had a decent regional. You know, TCU, you know, some pieces from TCU missing from a year ago. I just don't think A&M is complete enough. I think Louisville is kind of that junkyard dog mentality team. They just kind of get after you, and they come at you in waves over and over and over again. I think this will be an incredibly entertaining regional. It goes three games, but in the end, I think Louisville is going to win this thing. Oklahoma and Virginia Tech. I think Virginia Tech is a great team, and, of course, they got a great draw in the regional. Uh, And so, as a result, I don't know that they're as trendy – maybe some other teams are because I think people are kind of sleeping on them a bit. Uh, so it's second in the nation in home runs behind Tennessee. They can swing it. I just think Oklahoma is going to match up well with them. I think Oklahoma is a team the last month has played really good baseball. I think they win it in three games. So on that side of the bracket, we have Oklahoma, Louisville, Texas, and Tennessee advancing to Omaha. And you never know what could happen. But I think I feel, I feel good about those picks. Now, the other side – to me, it's a little more disjointed. I pick Stanford to win this thing. I do think Stanford takes care of UConn. UConn, you know, they, they took care of Maryland. I think Maryland was a bit overrated. Even at the 15 seed, I mean, a Big Ten, not a real strong conference, and, and their, their record wasn't that great. Um, but, you know, never, and maybe I'm wrong about Virginia Tech and the home runs. Maybe it's Maryland. But uh, either way, Maryland's out of it. I think UConn having to go across the country and play Stanford, a team down in the sunken diamond that are very difficult to beat. They, and they don't do a lot of things flashy. They're just kind of good at everything. And I think Stanford's pitching is going to prove to be too much. And I think Stanford's got some length in that lineup. I think they take UConn in two games. North Carolina and Arkansas. This is a very, very intriguing matchup. Arkansas did not play good baseball in the month of May, but had a really good weekend last weekend. And I think they gutted it out. I think Michael Turner is a guy that is motivated. Of course, he's the transfer from Kent State that the ESPN guy called a loser and a, and a replacement player, a rental player, whatever it was. Uh, I don't get that at all. Don't support that type of behavior in any way whatsoever. Arkansas is a gritty, tough team. And their team last year that was denied the opportunity to go to Omaha. So they will be motivated and ready to go. And I actually think going on the road is good for them. That said, North Carolina has been really good the last six weeks. So that's one that I think goes three games, and we're going to go with Arkansas. I think Arkansas will find a way to simply out-tough them in game three. I don't think Arkansas can win at Omaha. I do think Arkansas can win in Chapel Hill. 
All right, the one that all the eyes of Mississippi are upon, Ole Miss and Southern Miss. I think this is an interesting matchup. Now, Ole Miss, even when we beat them, I know people are like, oh, this, Ole Miss having a bad year. I said then that was a great win for us just because of the fact that is, there's some length in that lineup, and they have kind of figured it out. Pitching has been a moving target for them. They have pitched it much better down the stretch. Uh, they destroy Arizona. Arizona runs, runs out of pitching. And, you know, probably the best thing that happened to Ole Miss is that, you know, Miami getting eliminated because Miami had the pitching, I think, to kind of neutralize uh, the Ole Miss bats. But Ole Miss did what they're supposed to do. And now they're going to be at Southern Miss. Southern Miss just has a little bit of a look about them, though. I'm taking Southern Miss in three games. And I know that there are a lot of our fans will be happy when Ole Miss is eliminated. Now, if we had told you beginning of the year that Ole Miss would make the Super Regional round, you wouldn't be surprised at all. But people are surprised at this point. But give me Mike Bianco and his staff some credit. With their backs against the wall, they've kind of done what they normally do. They usually play their best baseball in May and then kind of run out of juice here in mid-June. I suspect that'll be the case, too. I've got Southern Miss winning this thing uh, and going on to Omaha. Auburn and Oregon State, you talk about a contrast in styles here. And Auburn offensively was absolutely outstanding last weekend. I mean, absolutely outstanding. I think those are the things you look at and you begin to see, okay, who's playing really good baseball right now? Uh, Oregon State, you know, pushed to the brink by Vanderbilt, and it's not a great Vanderbilt team, right? It's not. You know, and, and somebody tweeted at me and said, hey, Steve, you told us at the beginning of the year that uh, Vandy wasn't going to be quite as good. That's true. That's one of the ones I got right. Auburn was a team, though, however, I thought would really struggle this year. I thought Auburn would probably finish – I picked them seventh in the West, if I told you anything. I had them behind Auburn, uh, behind uh, A&M. I had A&M and Auburn finishing sixth and seventh, and here they both are in the Super Regional round. That's just college baseball. You never know. And then LSU and Mississippi State are at home. It's crazy. I think this Auburn team is probably playing a little bit better baseball than Oregon State. I don't think they win, though. I think it goes three games. I think Oregon State will prove to have – more than enough pitching uh, to win this thing. And, of course, it's just a regular three-game series. It's not like you've got a loser's bracket game. I just think West Coast baseball is one of those things, too, when you get paired up with a team like Auburn, if you're not hitting home runs, you're going to lose the game. They're going to beat you 6'4", 6'3". It's kind of what they do. Uh, And Oregon State has kind of built a brand on pitching. So we're going to go Oregon State. So here we go. Stanford. Arkansas, Southern Miss, and Oregon State. And I think that really helps Stanford. I think when you look on that side of the bracket, I think the Stanford side of the bracket is easier. I think that side of the Omaha bracket would be easier. I think Arkansas obviously would be happy to be there, and they're a scary team. I just don't know if they have a juice to win it. I don't think Southern Miss or Ole Miss does. I think Oregon State does. So I think this side of the bracket where I see Tennessee and Texas in the bracket final on, on this other side, I see it as Stanford and Oregon State. So I don't think that we're going to have um, an all-SEC College World Series final this year. But uh, eager to see it all get together, ready to see some guys play, uh, and it'll be an awful lot, awful lot of fun. I don't think there's any question about it. You know, it's a lot more fun when we're playing, but we've kind of accepted the fact that we're not – uh, doesn't mean that we can't enjoy what's left of college baseball season. I think Monday was just such a good day for the game. I think there's so many people out there that don't really give college baseball enough credit that maybe watch some Monday night and they're like, this is incredible. 
And I think ESPN did a good job with their squeeze play where they can kind of kick it around a little bit. Uh, so maybe if you don't tune in to this one particular game, I like to kind of skip around myself. But uh, I think, again, the field is the field. And there's nobody you look at right now. I mean, I guess you could make the case Ole Miss is probably maybe the biggest surprise. But you have to know with that lineup, you know, they're capable of winning a regional. Now here we are. And then you get a foe that you know in Southern Miss, uh, and then Southern Miss gets them in their yard. And Ole Miss beats Southern Miss in Pearl. And, of course, it's a midweek game. Uh, but this is where um, this is where everybody is. You know, this is where everybody is now uh, when it comes to college baseball is that, you know, you never know when somebody's going to get hot. And there are some solid G5 mid-major type programs that are going to get a chance to go to Omaha. And that's pretty impressive in the grand scheme of things. And so that's kind of how it's all going to shake out. And so, of course, if it goes as I expect in Omaha, the first games would be Tennessee versus Texas, which would be an absolute barn burner, and then Louisville versus Oklahoma. And that could be an interesting game as well. On the other side of the bracket, it would be Stanford and Arkansas, which I think would be a remarkable game, and then Southern Miss versus Oregon State. I just, again, I think Stanford, with their pitching, that they have a chance to, to really play well in Omaha. You've got to be a line drive hitting team. You've got to be able to run bases. Stanford does all those things well. Tennessee, that offense is almost kind of predicated on a long ball. So what happens when they can't hit home runs? And then the guys start pressing a little bit. I remember Elijah McNamee told me when he went and took BP at Omaha for the first time, he said there were balls that would be, you know, 10 feet deep into the left field lounge that didn't even reach a warning track. And he said it really begins to mess with your mind a little bit. And so what happens with Tennessee? We saw what happened last year. They were the first team out of our bracket. We never even had a chance to play them. The ballpark swallowed up their offense. I think that happens again this year. And I think Stanford is a team. I think they, they can force you to play their game. Uh, so, again, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Stanford. That, that's my pick. I'm not changing. I had some people message me when Stanford lost the other day to Texas State, got in the loser's bracket, and said, hey, do you, are you, still gonna, you still think Stanford's going to win it? I do. I do. When you have pitching, you always have a chance, and Stanford has plenty of that. So we'll see how things go. But uh, I know, again, all of your eyes are going to be on that Super Regional down in Hattiesburg. And uh, we're all pulling for Southern Miss. I don't think there's any question about it. No question about it. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Portico, a great place to live. I tell you, if I was uh, moving to Starkville now, that's where I would move. Because I'd like to be closer to campus. I think it'd be great to be able to be close to campus. I think uh, a lot of people probably feel the same way. And maybe that's why you come to Starkville, is to attend the athletic events on the Mississippi State campus. How about that? So, Portico, very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on 12, like going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road that takes you to Portico. You'll be 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Think about that. How cool would that be? Still that close to campus, but you're on the quiet side of campus, the convenient side of campus, easy to get back out on the highway, get over to 25 if you want to, and get on that bypass. It'd be great. Your neighbors are already living life to the fullest. Phase one com- completely sold out. Uh, phase two, under construction now. Two of those homes already sold, eight more being built. But there is room for you, maybe if, if you don't say, hey, Steve, I've kind of got some custom needs, uh, the builders can work with you on that too. You can pick out your lot and uh, have some say in your house plan. 
And you only get a few times in life to do that. I'd encourage you to give our friends at Portico a call. Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog, great guy. Talked to him this morning. Uh, give him a, t- a call for your questions. 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. A lot of Mississippi State people involved in this development. A ton. Uh, trying to make Starkville a better place to live. And again, you know, we'd love for you to be our neighbors. I love it when you guys come to town. And maybe you're looking for a retirement home eventually, uh, or you're looking for an investment property, or, or you just like to have a second home here in Starkville. How cool would that be? Uh, let our friends at Portico take care of those needs for you. Again, make Portico your next move. Well, watch all this college baseball. You know, it's one of those things, too. It, um, I guess in some ways it kind of pours some salt in the wound a little bit, right? I mean, it's like, we should be playing, and we're not. And uh, there were a lot of you that were just kind of ready for college baseball season to end because we just there were so many disappointments associated with the season. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that um, there's anything I can look back and be positive about. You know, we had a bad year. But I read these things and I hear these things, and sometimes I just, I just want to take somebody and sit them down and say, listen, you know, one season does not a program make, good or bad. We were a great college baseball program before we won the NAFL championship. The NAFL championship just kind of legitimized us. It was the one thing we didn't have. Now we have it. But I'm not content with one. I want to win more before we're done. Before I leave, I'd love to be able to celebrate two, three, four, ten more times in Omaha. Wouldn't it be great? But I read this stuff and it's like, oh, you know, I've got some people that message me and sometimes I feel like I'm a counselor and say, yeah, but if this happens and this happens, nothing will ever erase the joy of winning that NAFL championship last year. Nothing. It doesn't matter who wins it this year. And in no way is our NAFL championship in any way diminished because somebody else wins it this year. It doesn't matter who wins it. I mean, Southern Miss wins it this year. Ole Miss wins it this year. I don't expect that to happen. But if they do, it doesn't change the fact that we won the NAFL championship last year. Now, I'd like to be able to start getting some separation between us and them, and we didn't fill the team this year that could get that done. But the reality of it is, is we didn't all of a sudden get to be bad at baseball. It's like, I mean, I people, are we going to change this coach? Are we going to do that? Are we, you know, it's like everybody just take a deep breath. It's time to have a little faith. Mark Keenum, university president Mark Keenum, is very, very in tune with athletics at Mississippi State. Not that he's a micromanager in any respect, but this is a guy that expects us to be competitive in all fields of play. It's important to him. He understands it's a big part of our branding. It's a big part of our recruiting push is to have quality athletic programs that give quality experiences, that bring the alumni back to campus, allow the students to kind of interact with the alums and be able to network a little bit and just kind of celebrate being a Mississippi State family. Mark Keenum gets that. Mark's not asleep at the wheel, just kind of hoping for the best. He goes and speaks to the football team a couple times each year. One time the week of the battle for the golden egg to impress upon them how important that is to all of you. We hadn't won the last couple of years. We won the previous two. It's been pretty much 50-50 since 1992 for the last 30 years. It's pretty much been 500. We've had some runs. They've had some runs. But none of that is lost on Mark Keenum. John Cohen is the guy that wore the MOVRS as a player and a coach, won an SEC championship in 89 as a player and as a coach in 2016. Took our team to Omaha in 2013 and, and nearly won an AFL championship. And we lose to UCLA. 
I remember how bitter that tasted. It's like we had a good team that year, but we kind of got hot late. And at that point, we're just thinking, man, we, we could just make it to Omaha. Be incredible. Then we ended up winning the bracket. That was one of the most exciting summers of my life. My oldest son, Ani, was playing for the Mississippi Stars back then. So we're on the road, and then we go find like a Buffalo Wild Wings or something after a game to go watch State play. It was a big family-like building experience for us. And when you get back, and I'm thinking, we're going to win an Apple championship. We're going to do it. You, you, and I, Wes Ray, when I interviewed him uh, for Alpha Dogs, we talked about that. He goes, man, when the bracket started, if there was one team we could have picked that we'd love to play for an Apple championship, it was UCLA. We got who we wanted. The difference is, is they were basically the same team we were, just a little bit better at it. They were a team that could run. They were a team that could move runners. They were a team that played good defense. You know, back in those days, that was the first generation of BB core bats and the old baseballs. And so we, you know, it was basically uh, like playing wiffle ball sometimes. You, you couldn't get the ball out of the yard. I believe it was a college World Series record for fewest home runs that year. But we felt like we were going to win it. We just did. We had a team that got hot that had a lot of talent. You know, John Cohen then becomes your athletic director. And then, you know, John, this is, this is John's baby, too. You know, I think people forget that sometimes. You know, John is not one of these guys that's just passing through. This is a guy that understands the fraternity of being a Mississippi State baseball player. He understands what it means to our former players. He understands the expectations. He understood the standards that were set under Ron Polk. And let's be honest about this, too, now. We were a great baseball program before Ron Polk got here. But Polky took us to a different level. We went from being a great Southern team to being a great national team. And let's not forget, Coach Paul Gregory, first coach to take us to Omaha. So it's not like the LSU thing. You know, LSU had never done anything. The LSU was as big and also ran as you'll ever see in the SEC. It had been the one regional before Skip Berman got there. Nobody wanted that job. And Skip Berman built it into a national power. You know, Ron Paul didn't win the NAFL championships, but – and Mississippi State was on the forefront of national baseball coverage. Mississippi State was a destination-type school. And so Ron Polk was the guy kind of setting the new standard for what it took. People forget this, too, and I wrote this in Dogpile. Ron Polk was the first full-time baseball coach in Southeastern Conference history. He didn't have to coach football. He didn't have to run the equipment room. He didn't have to do anything other than coach baseball. So what did he do? He became a national recruiter. And we got guys like Bruce Castori and Mark Gillespie you know, to come in here and play. Yeah, because we were Mississippi State. We were a chance to go play. You could play at a high level here. You go you go get Rafael Palmero from Miami, a native of Havana, Cuba, and Will Clark out of New Orleans. We didn't just recruit the backyard, and Ron Polk kind of changed the expectations of what it meant to really recruit at a high level in the Southeastern Conference. So John Cohen was part of that. And so, you know, it's been in John's pedigree for years to kind of understand what you guys are willing to accept and what you guys expect. It's not like John Cohen just sit back and say, you know what, things, are, things aren't good, maybe next year. Now, he's not going to micromanage the team. You know, but John is the guy that's going to make sure that uh, this is taken care of. Simple as that. Chris Lamonis shared with us in postgame, during the Tennessee series, he had never had a losing season on the college level as a player or a coach until this year. Now, if you are a person that is accustomed to winning, 
and all of a sudden you don't, you make a change in the way you do things. And that's one thing Scott Fox always told me recently too is you learn that the margin between victory and defeat is very, very thin in this conference. It's very unforgiving. So there's nobody involved with the administration or with the baseball program directly that is happy with the season. There's nobody saying, well, we just had some bad luck. Nobody feels that way. Everybody understands we got to get an influx of talent. Everybody understands that it is unacceptable for Mississippi State to miss the Southeastern Conference Tournament. It's unacceptable for us not to be in the discussion for a regional. It's not acceptable. Now, you guys expect to host every year. I do, too. I know that's not realistic, but that should be our, our goal every single year should be to be a top eight national seed so we can host a regional and a super regional right here to give ourselves the best chance to get to Omaha. And once you get there, it depends on matchups, right? But that's our goal every year. And so now we're taking the steps now. What can we do to get this team back to Omaha next year? Well, you got to work the portal. I mean, the signing class is what it is. It already is, right? So now you've got to supplement. You've got to go out and get some guys that are maybe one or two of your players that can come in here and help make this thing get going again. But also, too, some guys that maybe can stand in the gap while these younger guys develop. It's important to understand, and there's a lot to it. There's an awful lot to it. It's not one of these situations where, you know, well, we just got to go get this guy. You know, we got to manage the returning roster. Got to monitor their progress out in summer baseball. We got to do some other things to make sure that our guys are getting prepared for the draft. Got to make sure we got a roster spot for some of those guys. If they don't get drafted or they decide to come back, it's a very complicated process with a ton of levels. You can't go out there and get oversigned or overextended. And so a lot of people are like, oh, we're, we're just going to have this big flurry of transfers. Well, you know, we don't even really know at this point how many roster spots we're going to have. And so I think you'll see a wave of transfers and you've already seen three newcomers here in the last uh you know 10 days in june things things will kind of steadily kind of move along and then once we get through the draft and we kind of know what we have who's coming who's leaving you i think you'll see some more i think there's some guys too they're going to wait out the draft before they make a college pick you know they're thinking hey i don't want to go make this move until i know what i'm doing with the draft you know, there, you know, Guy Lipscomb is a guy that, that we've talked about a lot from Belmont. I've got people telling me he's got a third and fourth round grade on him right now. Guy grew up a Mississippi State fan from Tupelo originally, moved to Franklin, Tennessee. Guy hit over 400 this year, the whole Ohio Valley Conference Newcomer of the Year. We'd love to have him. He's not in the portal yet, but he could be a guy, too, that if, you know, if he gets drafted high enough, it just becomes one of those things you wish the family the best. But if he didn't get what he wants in the draft – then all of a sudden that becomes more of a possibility for you. So I, I just say all this that it lets understand kind of where we are and where we're going. Nobody is satisfied with what happened. Everybody involved is embarrassed. Everybody. Everybody's embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I've never been embarrassed to be a Mississippi State fan. I'm not embarrassed of our kids, but I'm embarrassed with the results that we had this year on the baseball diamond. And, it, you know, as much as I enjoy watching college baseball, it's a lot more fun to watch when you know that your team still has an opportunity to advance. But we've known for a long time we weren't going to be involved with this next weekend of baseball. We've, we've known it, and it stinks. But I just encourage you to, uh, to keep the faith. 
Keep the faith. It's like I have these people that say, well, if we don't do anything, well, we are doing something. We're going out, we're getting players. And we had some other guys, too, that uh, weren't going to develop at a rapid enough pace to, uh, to help us this year, that, you know, that they're elsewhere now. You know, and that's sometimes you got to be honest with guys and say, listen, here's the reality of a situation. We'd love to have you back. But here's how we see the playing time situation shake out. And so I think it's important to kind of understand that too. But if anybody's ever deserved a mulligan in the history of Mississippi State baseball or in Mississippi State athletics period, it's, it's Chris Lamonis. Chris is a winner. Chris is a great recruiter. Chris is a guy that's going to make some things happen. And so we're going to be – this time next year, we're going to be right back in this mix. We're going to be previewing a Super Regional talking about Mississippi State. I firmly believe that. And I have people who message me all the time and say, hey, do you think we'll turn it around? Yes, I do. And I read these people who are like, hey, well, next year's not going to be any better. Well, that's not reality. That is you resting your insecurity on the backs of Mississippi State baseball because you fear that, not because you know that. We don't even know what the roster is going to look like. We don't know how many transfers we're going to add. We don't know which players are going to pop up and say, hey, you know what, I'm not going to go in the draft. We don't know any of that yet. But, like, we're already wanting to pass judgment on next year. That's got nothing to do with the current situation. That is, that is not a Mississippi State issue. That is a you issue. Oh, well, next year's going to be even worse. Then don't watch. Stay home. Fine with me. Because there will be plenty of people that's going to be there. Because we're gonna, I, I firmly believe that we're going to be right back next year. And maybe I'm a bit of a Pollyanna when it comes to that, when it comes to Mississippi State baseball. But here's the thing. Mississippi State has always been good at baseball. Always. Always good. I think it's important to understand that. There is a culture and a pedigree here where we're not one of these programs that just kind of got lucky. You know, we just kept knocking on the door until we kicked it down. And the people that did that, the, the, the kicking, are still here. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can order uh, copies of Dogpile, Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. And again, Stark Villains copies are nearly depleted. So if you haven't added that one to your collection, let me encourage you to do so. Alpha Dogs not too far behind. And we're not going to reprint those books this, this, this year. Uh, the second printing of Dogpile is being delivered this week. So, you know, quantities in stores have been down. Uh, we haven't really been promoting a book as much because we were afraid to run out of books. Well, now, you know, second printing is here. A couple mild corrections in there, and um, it kind of changed the book jacket up a little bit too. So uh, be looking for that here in the weeks to come. You know, so if you have maybe delayed buying Dogpile, and maybe after this baseball season you can romanticize about our NAFL championship and, and maybe go read that book and relive it all again because we're going to be back. And I'm going to write other books about Mississippi State baseball. Let's go ahead and get prepared for that. That's because that's the reality of life. Uh, Blooms of Oleander just turned one years of age uh, here about three days ago. And uh, you can find that at uh, barnesandnoble.com, booksandmillion.com. You can uh, get it from uh, Amazon, of course, and you can get it also as an e-reader. I know many of you prefer an e-reader. You can get that as an e-reader. It is the only one of my books available as an e-reader. Stark Villains gear always available through starkvillains.com. Thank our friends at Deep South Palette and that company that uh, – Help put that together for us. Been selling a lot of shirts over the years. And so uh, be sure and uh, get one for yourself. Father's Day is coming up soon. Time to do some last-minute shopping. If you hadn't done so, let's make sure and check it out. 
Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.